Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditson. Boy, oh boy, week two has come and gone. If you have a fantasy football team, there is a good chance that some of your uh, investments and players that you love and cherish deeply are injured, unfortunately. And that is uh, part of the game that we love called football. 11 on 11 contact does tend to bring these things, but goodness gracious, I'm going to go through all sorts of injury notes throughout today's podcast, also usage, and just generally go through all 13 games, excuse me, 14 games that just happened. So I was able to keep this to about 40, 45 minutes last week. That's the goal here. Not trying to tell you every last thing that happened, but I have managed so far to go through 11 of these 14 games uh, that have happened, or not including Thursday night. Uh, <laughs> however many games there are, I've gone through all of them except three at this point. Ready to talk them out. I got some PFF snap count stuff, some uh, good insights from watching the game, and some potential injury uh, notifications and maneuvers we can do in Waver City. So without further ado, let's break down the week two action. Starting off with one hell of a comeback. The Cowboys beat the Falcons 42-39. Dak was in comeback mode after trailing by literally 20 points to start the game. And they went down 20 and nothing. The Cowboys put the ball on the ground four times in the first 11 minutes. It was absolutely absurd. All the credit to Dak for, you know, bringing them back. Uh, he consistently, you know, was spreading the ball out, found his way to the end zone by himself three separate times. I mean, I know Zico Elliott, fantasy investors aren't uh, too sad about today. He had 22 carries, 89 yards, and a score to go along with six catches for 33 yards, but truly a situation where Zeke could have had anywhere from his one touchdown to four touchdowns. Dak was just getting in near the goal line. So, you know, obviously... Cowboys offense will take that any way they can get it, however they want to get in the end zone. But uh, Zeke fantasy investors, you will have better days moving forward. Zeke was still just the main guy, 92% snap rate. Tony Pollard out there for uh, 10% snaps. But big story was, I guess, seeing Dak just already start to enable uh, all three of these wide receivers. CeeDee Lamb caught six of nine targets for 106 yards. Cooper hit 100 yards, catching six of nine targets. Gallup, you know, was the odd man out, but still had 58 yards on two catches himself. All three of these guys are great, and, you know, now, even though this week we had Dalton Schultz commanding 10 targets, caught nine of them for 88 yards in the score, I think more often than not, we're going to see Gallup take a step forward. And this is truly an offense that can enable three fancy relevant wide receivers. And it's not just Dak and the firepower. Okay, we've seen these, these Cowboys, even this year, have short uh, stretches of you just not being able to move the ball all that efficiently. But you look at this defense and they cannot slow down anybody. So Cowboys games and Falcons games alike, we have an offense, offense on both sides of the ball that can move the ball against pretty much any anyone in defenses that can allow the ball to be moved against them by pretty much anyone. So that is the ingredient for some of these fantasy-friendly shootouts that will continue to target throughout the year. Uh, Matt Ryan, four touchdowns through the air, 273 yards. Two of those scores went to Calvin Ridley. Whenever you give this guy more than eight targets, all he does is find the end zone at least once, and he puts up, you know, 70-plus yards. It's just incredible what Ridley has done in his short career. Every single chance he's gotten, uh, you know, chances just to do even just, again, eight-plus targets. Like, there are wide receivers of his caliber that are, you know, deserve 10, 12 targets per game. And he's been getting that to start the year, which is fantastic. But don't even need that much if you look back historically. Uh, you know, only had a long of 25, but he is just so smooth uh, working that sideline. You know, the out routes, corners that cannot hang with them one-on-one. And they have to hang with them one-on-one because Julio Jones is on the other side of the field. And, you know, for those that didn't watch the game, they just see that Julio, you know, two catches for 24 yards. Sorry, do not watch those highlights because Russell Gage, of all people, took a, a wildcat snap and floated one perfectly into Julio's chest from about 40 yards away. 
Julio dropped it. It's unfortunate. It makes you wonder if Mohamed Sanu was a system quarterback during his days uh, with the Falcons. So not a good day for Julio, but, you know, he will obviously come back and have bigger ones. Um, credit to Russell Gage for, in addition to that great pass, six catches, 46 yards and a score. Tweeted out this cool uh, stat last week we had from PFF where Gage was among the week's top five wide receivers and targets on the quarterback's first read. Matt Ryan's looking for him. Look, he's not CeeDee Lamb. Like, he's not that, uh, you know, sexy first round pick with just sky high potential. But this is, you know, going on almost eight or nine weeks now of evidence without Muhammad Sanu of Gage commanding anywhere from, you know, five to 10, 12 targets per game. He is creeping up into that almost weekly uh, upside wide receiver three, wide receiver four territory. Uh, also, credit to Hayden Hurst. Five catches, 72 yards, and a score on eight targets. Uh, you know, the touchdown was really well-designed play. It was a little screen. He leaked out downfield. No one was really guarding him. But, hey, you know, those are the types of things that are going to happen in a high-powered offense such as the Falcons. So, still don't think we're going to see, you know, consistent tight end one Austin Hooper type production out of Hurst uh, in this offense with Gage, I think, taking more of those looks that Hooper was probably getting last year. But he's certainly capable of providing uh, boomer bust tight end two type talent. Pretty disappointing game from Todd Gurley considering, you know, the Falcons. Falcons were leading by multiple scores for most of the game. 21 carries, 61 yards, no scores, long of just eight. Not a single target. Brian Hill was taking uh, most of the back passing game opportunities. Ito Smith was out there too. I mean, Gurley led the way with 64% snaps. Hill and Ito only combined for... Uh, 34%, but still, you know, we haven't seen really big playability out of Gurley. It doesn't look awful, but we're not seeing enough right now in this very pass-first offense, even in great game scripts uh, from Gurley at this point. So going to be too, going to be tough to, you know, treat him as more than that borderline RB2 that, you know, we're kind of dropping him to at this point. So keep on keeping on with those high-scoring offenses. Now, a much less fun game was the 49ers-Jets. 49ers-31 uh, beat the Jets, who only scored 13. Just a complete travesty from uh, the New York Jets sideline. And here's my uh, official statement on the Chris Herndon situation. I know I've been uh, speaking his name with all sorts of, uh, you know, please go draft him. Imagine not drafting Chris Herndon. The amount of memes I've made in reference to Chris Herndon is, is truly disgusting. One catch, five yards, no scores on four targets. Uh, Dre McFarlane, who was on the podcast this past week, brought up how Herndon, compared to other full-time tight ends, is blocking literally more than anyone. He brought that up on the podcast last week. I should have listened to that more closely. And, you know, it was... I th really thought that even as bad as the Sam Darnold and Adam Gase offense was, they could enable potentially, in addition to Jameson Crowder, a tight end. You know, we saw Crowder leave, and in his replacement, Braxton Berrios, their uh, other backup slot, caught six passes for 59 yards and a score. So the Adam Gase slot receiver can do it. He can be your fantasy guy. Other than that, it is nothing I am out. I do not think uh, Chris Herndon is even worthy of a ro roster spot at this point. Maybe he'll come back on a little bit later when this offense just even starts to resume. I don't know, being a below average unit, but for right now, he doesn't deserve a spot in fantasy rosters. And this was always, you know, the thesis behind it was, okay, here's a guy that's going as like the tight end 20. You only have to use a late round pick on him anyway. Really thought the ceiling was higher. I still think he's a great player, but the usage is not there. You know, it's similar to OJ Howard with much less hype uh, going into the season last year. But at some point, uh, you just got to say the usage isn't there. So, you know, apologies for those that took a stab on Herndon with me, but I think there are higher upside tight ends to get to. Don't want to touch anyone in this uh, backfield. You know, credit to Frank Orr for getting 21 carries in the midst of a 18-point loss. Not even sure how that happens. He's not bad, but look, he's not getting any pass-the-game work. And at the end of the day, you know, Gore was out there 
uh, splitting just many snaps with P. Ryan, uh, Ballage, and Josh Adams there too. I mean, Gore's 58% snaps, Ballage 11%, P. Ryan 13%, Josh Adams 8%. So, you know, in this New York Jets offense, if Jameson Crowder is healthy, go ahead. Maybe we can talk ourselves into Braxton Berrios as like a low-priced DFS guy. But right now, I think the answer to the general uh, New York Jets offensive question is just no. Uh, 49ers side of the ball, Jimmy G was, you know, not, not doing amazing uh, before he left with an uh, ankle injury that's believed not to be too serious, but he might miss some time in favor of Nick Mullins. But Jimmy G completed 14 and 16 passes, 131 yards, pair of scores before departing. Again, wasn't anything too incredible, but hey, put the ball on Jordan Reed twice for scores, um, helped really really save some people in DFS who were using him cheap. And yeah, but you know, it was kind of what we saw last week where again, not a single receiver last week had more than five targets in that game. This week, only Jordan Reed did credit to him for catching seven of eight targets, 50 yards, two scores in George Kittle's absence. Hey, you know, Jordan Reed, he looked good out there. He looks big. He, maybe he's not 20, you know, 15, 2016 prime Jordan Reed, but still good enough to score two touchdowns on the Jets. Kendrick Bourne had 67 yards on five targets. Other than that, no one reached even 30 yards receiving. So you know, Brandon Ayuk was back. He was kind of getting eased into things. Once Debo Samuel's back, maybe we'll see uh, something else. But until then, I mean, I think he's probably focused on his tight end position, and that's all in this passing game. Uh, hopefully Garoppolo's okay. But I will say, you know, if you don't know Nick Mullins, this guy is one of the better backups in the league. I mean, teams were offering uh, the 49ers. I don't know if it was a first-round pick, but there were stories in March where, you know, teams were really trying to pull away Mullins from the 49ers, and they were really making the price highs, and they were not ready to do so. Um, in particular, I believe it was uh, Fancy Points analyst Scott Barrett brought some good splits that we've seen from past years where Mullins just feeds George Kittle the ball when he is out there. So something to look for when Kittle hopefully gets back on the field sooner rather than later. Uh, Raheem Mostert took the first touch of the game, 80 yards to the house, eight carries, 92 yards, and a score total. Dude is just so fast. I mean, it's wild that someone that is this talented as him, you know, is struggled to find a field for as long as as long as it was for him. Because you would think that, you know, at some point that sort of talent would uh, went out. But unfortunately, not the case. He did have to leave the game early. You know, it's uh, make sure you tune into the Monday Night Football uh, episode of this podcast because I'm going to have, you know, all the injuries that are going to have to go through Monday at that point. You know, I'll make sure to go through that and some key waiver wire uh takeaways from who to go through but you know right now it doesn't seem like from what i've okay raheem Mostert, mild sprain of the mcl uh how long will we sideline depends on the mri per adam Schefter. so we don't really know right now hopefully no more throughout the week but for the time being it's looking like the jared mckinnon and tevin coleman show with a little bit of jeff wilson mixed in between coleman was pretty brutal on the ground 14 carries for just 12 yards meanwhile jared mckinnon Three carries, 77 yards in a score, 55-yard run. He converted a third and 31, guys. It was freaking crazy. So McKinnon, you know, I, I didn't think he'd really have this big role, but he looks great out there. And honestly, if the Coleman inefficiency keeps up, Mostert's out. I could see McKinnon end up being the 1A of this backfield. So, you know, if McKinnon's out there, I think especially just with them not having the receivers, they could be forced to lean on him more and more as we go on. So not a bad guy to look for in Mostert's absence. All right, moving on. We got the Steelers knocking out the Broncos 26 221. Uh, you know, this is, I think, more what people were expecting in week one from the Steelers. Because we had James Conner getting 77% of the offensive snaps. Benny Snell sitting down at just 16%. And Conner looked pretty good. You know, 59-yard run to kind of ice things at the end. Wasn't able to find the end zone on it. But that kind of helps make his performance look a little bit better than maybe it was 
Look, he wasn't out there, you know, McCaffreying dudes and just making guys miss in the most athletic manner possible. But offensive line was opening up some nice holes. He got what was there. He was falling forward. And more importantly, you know, he didn't fumble and only have one yard on four touches like Benny Snell did. So this is the Connor backfield right now. I I never bought the idea that they were going to have this, you know, early down committee. If anything, it was more of a competition for uh, that true lead down back role. You know, whether or not Snell is in that, still in that competition remains to be seen, but certainly seems like it's back to being the Connor show. When he's healthy and when he has a starting lineup spot, I know week one went bad, but, you know, we have much more longer-term evidence of the Pittsburgh Steelers RB1 working as a fantasy RB1. We're going to go back to the well with James Conner next week as a top 15 back. Looking at Big Ben, 311 yards on 41 attempts, two scores, one interception. Could have had another interception, but he looked solid. He was starting to move out of the pocket a little bit, did make some nice throws downfield, particularly to Chase Claypool, an electric 84-yard touchdown. I mean, whoever said that guy's a tight end, like maybe he meant as a compliment because he was blocking. He can, he can block really well in college. He's got this hit list on cornerbacks. That's absolutely wild, but that dude is just big, fast, and a beast out there. I mean, James Washington is fine. You know, I think he's almost got a little too much hate for time in Pittsburgh, but Chase Claypool is going to earn more targets sooner rather than later. Juju Smith-Schuster caught a seven of eight targets for 48 yards. He made some nice guys miss, but, you know, didn't find the end zone. Wasn't as big of a performance as we saw last week. Star of the show was Deontay Johnson. One week after leading the way in targets, he does so again with 13 this time. Caught eight of them for 92 yards and a score. Still had like two drops in there, but the talent with this guy is unbelievable. He had a long punt return touchdown call back that was electric. You know, kind of an iffy block in the black uh, <laughs> block in the back call on that one. Uh, when Deontay did score, nice uh, little diving play after Ben was able to get out of the pocket, found him in the end zone. So they're really getting Deontay a little more of that low, lower A dot type stuff. You know, scheming him to try to get the ball while he's running and some blockers in front. And hey, great, that's exactly what we want in PPR formats. Uh, there's a non-zero percent chance that Deontay finishes ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster in fantasy this year. I think both will probably be top 24 receivers when it's all said and done. But either way, both guys should be in fantasy lineups of all shapes and sizes, pretty much regardless of the matchup. Moving on the Broncos side of the ball, Drew Locke hurt his right shoulder, which is unfortunate because I really want Drew Locke to be good. I'm not saying I think he will, but you know, when you got someone with that much swag and just willing to uh, rap on the sideline, how can you not root for that guy? But uh, right shoulder injury, you know, we'll see how long he ends up being out. It sounds like it will be for a little bit at first. You know, right right shoulder when you're right when you're a right arm quarterback, like this is problematic. But Jeff Driscoll came in uh, in his absence and looked pretty good. I mean, I. I like what Driscoll did in Detroit last season. He's not in, he's not like this polished veteran backup. He's not like a Brian Hoyer type that's going to come in game manage, uh, hopefully not kill you and just, you know, take what's there. Driscoll comes in. He posted one of the highest deep ball rates in the league last year and he runs around a lot. I mean, he only had five rushing yards this game, but when he was starting with the Lions for those few games, he was an actual fancy asset because he was racking up almost 50 rushing yards uh, per game. So, you know, he, <laughs> Almost completed fewer than 50% of his passes, but 256 yards on 34 pass attempts, not bad at all. Took six sacks. That'll happen when you're facing the league's best pass rush in Pittsburgh. Ultimately, I haven't had a chance to win the game uh, late, though, and that was with Cortland Sutton, unfortunately, having to leave after toughing it out, you know, through some cramps and leg injuries. So, you know, credit to Driscoll for making this one close and uh, going out there and balling a little bit. So uh, I don't think him being in there necessarily tanks the Broncos. I know they're 0-2 now, but I don't think they're going to become, like, unwatchable or unplayable 
uh, by any stretch with Driscoll back there. It does ding the receivers a little bit, but let's face it, you know, things were already a little bit erratic with Locke under center uh, anyway. So I don't think that drop off will be as big as uh, some might expect. Uh, one big takeaway here in Denver is that this is the Melvin Gordon show as long as Philip Lindsay is out. We saw Gordon really just command uh, this backfield today. Uh, let me find the snaps for him. Yes, yeah, 79% snaps for Melvin Gordon. Royce Freeman, 21%. You know, I don't think a lot of people were really on the spot for Gordon because of the matchup. I thought Freeman was going to more or less take Lindsey's role. And, hey, that didn't really happen. So, Gordon, 19 carries for 70 scoreless yards. Did, did chip in two catches, 14 yards in the score. The touchdown was great. He more or less, I wouldn't call it a moss, but he jumped up. It was a contested, contested catch on a wheel round into the end zone he looked good doing it so it was really running well too I mean I tweeted out he was looking like a 2018 Melvin Gordon breaking some of those tackles early so I don't think it's giving the most fancy friendly environment in Denver this year he's going to battle some negative game script if they don't you know figure things out a little more on defense and under center but you know good to see MG3 out there making some dudes miss I think he's still firmly in that RB2 tier uh, wide receivers yeah no one ended up having over eight targets uh, Noah Font found the end zone again four catches 57 yards and a score just truly awesome in terms of yak. I think he's earned weekly a tight end one. Um designation and then also Jerry Judy four catches 62 yards on seven targets he got uh he got banged up a little bit KJ Hamler also had seven targets three catches 48 yards and he was popping off the screen that too can just fly I don't know if it's going to be this year that we really see uh, all these you know talented skill position weapons put to use but you know I think John Elway knows what he has here this would be a sneaky I heard someone mention this it might have been uh Matt Kelly aka Podfather aka Fantasy Mansion but you know some people are wondering if uh Green Bay starts going south and uh, Aaron Rodgers wants to go somewhere. You know, he wouldn't be the first veteran future Hall of Fame quarterback to take his talents to Denver. Uh, not saying it will be him. All I'm saying is you look at this offense and the receivers and the backs and everything, and you can definitely see why, uh, you know, an established veteran quarterback would want to go there and play with all those toys. All right, moving on. Um, Colts beat the Vikings 28-11. to This is one of the uh, three games I have not had a chance to watch yet. So, uh, you know, take us with a little bit of a grand assault but Dalvin Cook 83% snaps Madison only 17% good to see after last week's a little bit different usage just a pretty brutal day for the uh, um, Vikings offense as a whole like they weren't they're not going to win any games when Cousins is going 11 for 26 113 yards three picks also took three sacks I mean couldn't even get Adam Thielen going this week unfortunately he was the only Vikings player more than five targets caught just three of them for 31 yards you know the parts of this game I did see on red zone looked forced at times and a little bit unfortunate you know, a Colts defense that Gardner Minshew and company had absolutely no problems moving the ball against him for, you know, Minshew to go 19 of 20 and for Kirk to go 11 for 26. I know it's not always fair to go the one for one uh, comparison. The NFL is a competitive league week to week teams have rough goes of it, but not what you wanted to see. This offense is struggling, I think, to maybe get defenses uh, off the line of scrimmage the same way they could with Stefan Diggs. They put up really good efficiency stats last week, but I think a lot of that was more in garbage time of that game. So we're going to need to see a little bit of a bounce back from both uh, this Vikings defense in particular and also uh, Cousins in this passing game in order to trust some of these auxiliary options a little more moving forward. On the Indianapolis side, Jonathan Taylor season, everyone, 66% snaps. Jordan Wilkins was actually number two back at 25%. Naeem Hines all the way down there at only 12%. Taylor, 26 carries, 101 yards, and a score. Also uh, was able to chip in a little bit in the passing game. I'm sorry, he did not. Yeah, okay, two catches, nine yards on two targets. Naeem Hines, no carries, one catch and only four yards. 
Look, it's the Jonathan Taylor show and Jordan Wilkins, you know, I went back through to make sure this wasn't a situation where he was actually like splitting reps with Taylor. Eight of nine of Jordan Wilkins touches came late in the third quarter of the fourth and this game was already, you know, a, a multiple touchdown uh, difference, but the Colts well in the lead. So it's Jonathan Taylor show. Wilkins would be there if they happen to be blowing someone out, but a two back backfield with Taylor and Hines with, with Taylor as the lead one A is going to be great. Hines is going to have better games, but you know, I, I didn't I think RB30 going this last week. That was probably a little bit aggressive. I think we can probably put him a little closer to that RB3 borderline. Clearly, he's going to be one of fantasy's more game-dependent backs, um, game script-dependent backs, excuse me. Jonathan Taylor, though, I mean, we got to treat this guy as a near every week, you know, top 10 back moving forward. I'll be interested to see what happens if we get one of these games where, you know, the Colts are trailing a lot more just to make sure, you know, Taylor's still going to be in line for 15 plus touches. But I think they realize that he should be the engine of this offense uh, sooner rather than later. Rivers only threw 25 passes. Uh, Paris Campbell got hurt early. Word is it's not an ACL injury, which is great news, but, you know, could certainly be missing some time. T.Y. Hilton, five targets, three catches, 28 yards, not much going on. Michael Pittman was the next most productive receiver, four catches, 37 yards, and six targets. Tight end Mo Alley-Cox, former basketball player, for those who didn't know, uh, five catches, 111 yards on six targets. I just think it's going to be a little inconsistent in this passing game all year. I mean, T.Y. Hilton is going to come back and be the guy, I think, more weeks than not. When Paris Campbell's there, he is certainly the number two guy. And after that, it's like, okay, is Doyle going to come back banged up? And then him and Ali Cox will be splitting more. Pittman's going to, you know, continue to get more involved throughout his rookie year. Zach Pascal's not going anywhere. It's a crowded passing game and a run-first offense. And I answer a lot of the Paris Campbell start-sick questions. No going in this week for this reason. Obviously, I can't predict when guys get hurt. But I just want to see another game of Rivers throwing the ball 40-plus times before we start trusting auxiliary options. I mean, TY's not even doing much right now. And I think, you know, again, if you're trusting multiple receivers, really make sure that the game script's going the way you want. I know this was supposed to be a high-scoring game, so, you know, it sucks if you're on some of these guys this week. But just moving forward, we got to, you know, realize that the Colts are going to be one of the league's more game script-dependent teams to keep an eye on. All right, moving on, we got the Titans beating the Jaguars 33-30. The amount of throws in this game that Ryan Tannehill made that just, like, took my breath away were freaking amazing. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, I'm watch I, I always got a little notebook. I just kind of chart down plays I think would look cool. And all 22 from that uh, back, you know, coaches cam and Tannehill, like, led the freaking week in these things. Just one laser after another. 18 of 24, 239 yards and four scores, no picks. Derrick Henry, you know, he keeps going through these Jaguars defense is 25 carries 84 yards you know only a long of 14 but he was still having his way throughout most of the afternoon just couldn't find the end zone this time out uh, it's funny you do look at Derrick Henry's uh, career yards per carry splits and he sits at about 3.8 in September and October and then you see that thing s spike above five yards per carry uh, November December January you know makes sense who would want to tackle him when it gets colder I, that just doesn't mean he can't have big games when it's warm out but just saying like do not sweat Derrick Henry's you know kind of slower start in the season in terms of efficiency. Uh, Tannehill, you know, chipped in 12 yards rushing. I've been lower on him just in this run first offense, not expecting him to keep up this sort of efficiency, you know, matchup against the Jaguars. If there was going to be a spot to kind of expect him to have his way, this was definitely it, but you know, going to have to start treating him as more of that borderline QB one, if not higher that he's been ever since he took over uh, with the Titans. You know, it's tough to wrap our minds around the fact that Tannehill could be this, you know, consistent top 10 quarterback in the league, but Hey, that's what he's been for 
you know, after a couple more weeks, the better part of the last year. So, you know, all the credit to him for turning things around uh, post Gase. And yeah, again, if you have time to go back and watch this game, like the touchdowns he had, uh, first one that John Ewers is perfectly placed, his touchdown to Humphreys, he got freaking drilled as he was throwing. That was awesome. The Corey Davis touchdown was good. Just an awesome game from Ryan Tannehill all around. Uh, some of the same issues, though, that we kind of had going in this year in the receiving room, just in terms of overall target volume. No A.J. Brown with a knee sprain. And, you know, with that, Adam Humphreys was the le- leading target getter with six. He caught five and then 40 yards in the score. John Smith was the star today with two scores, four catches and 84 yards. First play of the game, uh, Busted loose for 63 yards. That dude is just such a beast. I wish they'd give him a, a carry or two uh, while uh, Darrington Evans is out. We saw him last year, you know, actually get used in the eye formation a couple times and bust one loose on that. So uh, something to look out for moving forward. Corey Davis in this bounce back spot. I mean, not bounce back spot, but trying to bounce forward and prove that week one wasn't, you know, just a glitch. Three catches, 36 yards, and a score. Continue to look good. I think as long as A.J. Brown's out, we can look at Corey as a top, you know, 36 receiver in that wide receiver three range. I am hesitant to, you know, raise him up and put him in that top 24, 25 range. Just so many talented receivers around the league. You know, as we saw, like, in an offense like Seattle's, uh, sometimes we can even put wide receiver twos in, uh, you know, more of uh, voluminous passing games ahead of someone like Corey Davis uh, Jaguar side of the ball yeah I guess Gardner Minshew and all that talk about being disrespected by uh, you know the fantasy football analyst was uh, real because Minshew just keeps uh, putting up numbers 339 yards three touchdowns two picks one of which was his fault one of which was kind of tipped on the last drive and just went up and a guy grabbed it so I'm not saying he couldn't have put the ball up but wasn't you know too bad of a decision seemingly um, you know chipped in 19 rushing yards was about to run in for a score defenders came up and he flipped it over their head to a wide open Keelan Cole. I mean, he he keeps earning, you know, him and Burrow kind of earn these Tony Romo comps, like what they're able to do off script in the pocket. And you see it almost every single game. There's a fourth and three uh, in this game where Minshew was able to, you know, avoid the pressure, roll out, turn his back and picked it up. And they were able to score a couple plays later. So, you know, he is really knocking on that door of the borderline QB1 territory. He's always been one, you know, the targeted late round quarterbacks we've been recommending on this podcast. And Check out this schedule, everyone. I mean, this was the spot where we didn't want him, but now I think we're going to have to be starting him, honestly, unless you got really better options because next week we got the Dolphins on Thursday Night Football. After that, we got the Bengals, then Texans, Lions, Chargers. That's not great. And then Texans. I mean, this is fantastic overall for Gardner Minshew moving forward. One of the top, it's the top schedule in weeks three through six per the PFF strength of schedule tool. Um, with the running game, James Robinson, 16 carries, 102 yards and a score. Didn't dominate snaps as much this time. Only played 49% snaps. Chris Thompson was right there at 43%, but still dominating the touches. Thompson only had the two carries, uh, and while Thompson had four targets, Robinson also had four. You know, Robinson kind of has these lulls where he doesn't do a ton, but then all of a sudden, he had one where it was like he shot out of the cannon for 39 yards up the middle and actually showed like more burst and straight line speed than we had seen to that point. So really uh, good stuff from him. And, you know, as I've said, like we, we need to evolve on this backfield, I, I was wrong to start. I'm sure a lot of people were. We didn't know who James Robinson was until a couple of weeks ago. Well, now he is the bell cow back, uh, deep, pretty solid Jaguars offense that people also underrated going into the year. And it looks like he's good for 15 plus touches per week. So, you know, looking more and more like an every week borderline RB2 at worst upside RB3 might be a little game script uh, dependent. You know, once again, there's some of these spots where they actually finally get behind and Minshew can't keep him in it. But, you know, I said that's going before. I don't think that's coming up anytime soon. 
The only issue with this offense, you know, issue in fantasy land is just that Minshew is so good at spreading around that none of these receivers are putting up huge numbers. DJ Chark caught all four of his targets for 84 yards. He looked great doing so. He's looked great all season, just not getting the targets. I would be shocked if Minshew and Chark play 16 games together and Chark isn't a top 24 receiver. It'll come. Hasn't come yet. Go back to the well. Uh, Keelan Cole, hey, he's becoming a thing, guys. Uh, six catches, 58 yards, and a score on seven targets. I do think he's the number three pass game option here behind Chark and LaVisca Chenault. Uh, but, you know, he's going to have these weeks where he's better, particularly as long as, you know, Chris Conley and D.D. Westbrook just aren't as b- much in the picture. And Conley was back this week and had seven targets uh, himself, four catches, 48 yards. Uh, it's just a spread out offense. Uh, Tyler Eifert had six targets. Uh, James O'Shaughnessy had four targets. Thompson. And Robinson four targets. Uh, Eifert, gotta check this out. This dude had so many end zone balls. He's not catching. He's not the same talent. He's not the same athlete as he was, you know, before all these injuries. But you know, they are giving him every chance to go up and score some touchdowns. And he did come down with one today. Last thing I want to bring up from this game is Lavisca Chenault. And you know, I have, uh, you know. Fetish might be the wrong way of putting it, but I really love wide receiver running back hybrids. I mean, Cordero Patterson's always been my guy. I think Percy Harvin's awesome. I stand for Curtis Samuel still. And, you know, going into this year, I had so many people on Twitter tell me just to watch LaVisca Chenault because they thought he'd be the next guy that I would really be into. And, yeah, it turns out LaVisca Chenault makes watching, you know, Jaguars, Titans, all on, you know, Game Pass just absolutely awesome. This dude, five carries, 37 yards, caught three passes for 35 yards. And this was not like gadget catches this was a wide receiver lined up out wide you know forcing the corner back with a th- threat in the vertical stopping on a dime running a nice comeback catching the ball looking like a legit wide receiver and then a series later lining up in the backfield getting the ball up the middle breaking some tackles and looking like a legit running back he does not look like a hybrid he looks like a wide receiver or running back whenever he lines up there and whenever he chooses so it looks like the Jaguars fully intend on you know featuring him with this really fantasy friendly workload and I don't think it's gonna be too long until we're seeing consistent you know, double digit opportunities, carries plus targets per game. So really excited to see uh, LaVisca Chenault moving forward. We'll not be afraid opening up a roster spot for him in fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes. Rams beat the Eagles 37-219. Another solid enough outing for Jared Goff. And, you know, Eagles, it's just disappointing that we've seen these back-to-back, you know, pretty pretty awful performances by Carson Wentz. He wasn't sacked this time, but two interceptions, neither of which... Uh, we can, you know, say all that many good things about. He did rush for a touchdown, but, you know, 242 yards on 43 attempts when we had a healthy D-Jax, healthy Ertz, health, healthy Goddard, healthy Rager. You know, I picked the Saints and Eagles in the NFC Championship before the season started, you know, out of respect to Wentz, and I thought he could get back to that 2017 MVP form. Still plenty of time, but we just have not seen that through two weeks. Obviously not the two easiest matchups against those defensive lines, but, you know, again, this is supposed to be one of the better offenses, better teams in the league. Potentially, they got to perform better maybe when they do get healthier on the offensive line that'll help spirit but you know not enough from Carson Wentz for the time being Miles Sanders though you know, I, everyone that drafted him as a top 10, 12 you know, overall pick, I'm sure, you know, didn't love the way the season started, but he's back. He we need to lock him in as that top 10, top 12 overall RB. If, I mean, he'll probably be top eight, honestly, um, after people see these stats, because 77% snaps with Boston Scott only at 18%, Clement at 4%. This was the Miles Sanders show, 20 carries, 95 yards, and a score, seven targets, three catches for 36 yards. I mean, you know, Ertz had seven targets, Goddard had eight targets, DJX had nine. 
nine and Rager had four, but that's their passing game. And it sounds like Sanders is closer to the top than the bottom of it. Super fantasy friendly, dual threat role. Boston Scott, not a factor right now. I think he's droppable uh, in most leagues. Keep going back to the Miles Sanders well. Uh, big things, more to come on the way. Deshaun Jackson couldn't quite come back uh, to with too much with those nine targets. Six catches, 64 yards a week after he's one of the top guys in air yards. You know, it's going to boom eventually. Him and uh, Rager keeps looking good. These guys are going to have big games. Hasn't happened yet, but uh, you know, don't be afraid in the DFS streets to anticipate a Wentz blow up at some point. Offense is too talented to be this quiet for too much longer. Uh, as I said about golf, you know, pretty awesome. 20 for 27, 267 yards, three touchdowns. He just has these games where, like, he threw three touchdowns. None of them were particularly all that impressive. It was just Higby kind of getting open again and again and again because Sean McVay is a play calling genius. And w- golf deserves credit for being able to go back and do exactly what McVay wants him to do. Uh, in the structure of the offense. It's just, you know, the second something kind of starts to go wrong with that, we just don't see him able to function off script as well as other people. But you know what? Some people that can function off script better can't function on script as well as golf. So, you know, some of the haters out there like myself uh, probably just need to chill out a little bit. You know, he's always a threat for three touchdowns. And I think as this offense continues to gel with their new pieces, we could see even bigger games. As I mentioned, Higby caught all five of his targets, 54 yards, and a trio of scores. Dude is locked into uh, that upper tight end one conversation just don't see many tight ends even with that three touchdown type game in their range of outcomes Cooper Cup had a nice game, five catches, 81 yards on six targets. Uh, mentioned in our usage pod uh, earlier this week, just going through the games, how Cup actually, he's playing in two wide receiver sets now. So it's not like the situation at the end of last year where, you know, kind of like what Anthony Miller's going through with the Bears right now. Cup, you know, they gave him the contract. They know he's their guy. And even if he does finish behind Robert Woods, he's not going to like fall off the map or anything like that. I think uh, both these guys have a very good chance finishing top 24, if not higher by the end of the year. Woods a little quiet uh had fewer than eight targets for the first time in forever only two catches 14 yards but McVeigh loves using this guy as a runner Woods had three carries 19 yards and a score to help salvage the day good to see him finally get in the end zone after months of just bad you know touchdown not being able to find the end zone. Uh, real quick on this running game, Cam Akers uh, left after just three carries with a rib injury. This led to uh, Henderson actually working as uh, the lead guy in terms of rushing. Brown was still out there for 54% of the snaps, Henderson 42, but uh, Henderson converted his 12 carries and 81 yards in the score. Brown, 11 carries, 47 yards. This is pretty much what McVay said. And, you know, talked about this in the pod, but when Malcolm Brown had that awesome game last week, it would have been really easy for McVay to come out and say, Malcolm, he's our guy. He was our best back. He's going to continue to be our guy moving forward, and we believe in him. That's not what he said. He came out and said that, you know, when Henderson gets healthier, he'll be involved. If Cam had been playing well, we might have gone with him more. Malcolm was playing well tonight, but we plan on using all three of these guys. You know, I didn't really believe McVeigh this whole offseason when he was saying that they have three, four backs, but particularly now that Akers is banged up, Henderson's not 100%. They don't even have much of a choice but to use these three backs. So I'm going to continue to do so. They're all going to be risky season long, guys, and it's going to be annoying when you leave them on your bench. And you know we have this game like Henderson just had where you got 16, 17 points sitting there. He didn't start, but it's just going to be really tough to trust on a week-to-week basis until we get some sort of certainty. The upside of taking over this backfield is huge. And, hey, there's worse uh, spot starters in the world out there for sure, but uh, just a confuzzling situation for fantasy investors to figure out right now. Hopefully, uh, you know, Akers gets back to good health and we can get some clarity on this overall situation a little more. Moving forward, right, Bears beat the Giants 17-13. to 
Not the most electric game here, as you could probably imagine by that final score. Trubisky, though, he looked pretty good. I mean, you know, credit to him, 2-0. It took half the line secondary to get hurt to get the first win. But this game, uh, you know, 18 for 28, 190 yards, two scores, two picks. I got it. It's not that great. But beautiful touchdown throw potential uh, early on, dropped by Anthony Miller in the end zone. Just made a couple really nice plays. And, you know, we have seen that from Trubisky over the years where he kind of flashes his high-end talent, just not usually something he's able to keep up after game after game after game. You know, four-point win over the Giants. I'm not trying to crown the guy or anything. But, uh, you know, it's starting, starting to see a little bit more design rushing usage. He did have four carries for 16 yards. That's always been the high point of his game. Still don't think he's on the redraft, uh, you know, uh, just you're not going to start this guy in a redraft league uh, anytime soon. But we're getting there. And, you know, once he starts to connect with Allen Robinson a little more, uh, you know, we could see this Bears offense start to gel a little bit. They're starting to get a little momentum. Again, hasn't been all pretty, but we're starting to see flashes. Uh, Needle is moving up for Mitch Trubisky, which is, hey, that's a hell of a lot more than we could say uh, this time a couple weeks ago. In the backfield, uh, David Montgomery, who, you know, is definitely a recommended play this week, had himself a nice game. 16 carries, 82 yards. Chipped in three catches for 45 yards and a score, a 28-yard touchdown catch where he kind of caught a wheel on a, not a broken play, just an extended play. But then he made several guys miss, got in the end zone. We talked about this after week one. He was six in yards after contact per attempt. I think he might even be higher than that after this week. You know, I wouldn't say he looks like the prospect he, we thought he was coming out of Iowa State, like going to come in and just break every single tackle. Known the man, best college football running back in our database in terms of uh, broken tackles. He might not be that guy, but he can still certainly be fair. Very solid as long as he's getting 15 plus touches per game and a team that's going to be, you know, flirting with positive game script more times than not seemingly if they can kind of keep up this momentum they got going. So David Montgomery, I think he's he's fully healthy. He wasn't on the injury report this week. As long as he's getting this kind of usage, we can safely fire him up as a top 24 back. Uh, more weeks than not. Uh, Tariq Cohen down just 33% snaps, five carries, 12 yards, only one target, 15 yards. I mean, they went out of the way to pay the guy. Uh, still just, you don't see him use him as more than almost just like a gadget type player. Uh, the efficiency, he goes out there and he does, he's easy to root for. I mean, Tariq, and I love his Twitter and how he's always talking about being, you know, the underdog and the small guy. He wants to run over one. That's all great, but they just consistently don't quite use him like a normal running back or wide receiver because of that. I think defense and key on him. That's why you see the efficiency so low over the past season and a half. Uh, Allen Robinson, only receiver with more than three targets. He only caught three of those nine targets for 33 yards, like he did in week one. He made him look great. Do not put A-Rob on the bench, guys. Slow start. I get it. Squeaky wheel spot coming up soon. They're going to get him the ball. You know, he had the contract thing going up. Week three, week four, I think we're going to get an A-Rob explosion. He's too good. He was the wide receiver, PPR wide receiver, eight last year with Trubisky. It's not like he just can't do this with Trubisky. And God forbid something happens with that, we'll have foals there. So, I'm, you know, I'm not going to rank A-Rob in my top 10 wide receivers next week like I have been. But, you know, top 15, top 16, I still think he is plenty worthy of that weekly start. No one else on the radar, uh, you know, credit to uh Darnell Mooney for getting a nice touchdown catch on a, a fun little throwback from from Trubisky. But other than that, not much going on. Uh, Tony Miller, unfortunately, couldn't pull away after that solid week one. Had that aforementioned dropped, and he ended up being goose-egged on the day. Uh, giant side of the ball, uh, Saquon Barkley. Reportedly torn ACL. Giants are holding out hope, but doesn't look good. I want everyone to chill and not 
freak out and use all your fab on Deion Lewis because he played 87% of the offensive snaps and had 10 carries for 20 yards in the score and caught four balls. That's fine. But look, everyone, this is a bad Giants team. This is a bad offense. I know they've had a rough start in the year. And Daniel Jones, he played well in that Steelers game, took a little bit of a step back here. But he's going to have better games. I get that. This offense is going to put up points at some point. But Wayne Gallman was inactive. Who knows who else they're going to bring in. I mean, I know the Titans trusted Deion Lewis to be this feature back for the few times that Derrick Henry was out. But this is a brand-new coaching staff. Last year, they used Gallman. I think the most sense may mean it will be a two back committee with Gallman and Lewis would not be surprised at all. If they had a third back, the equation with that said, I don't even know how those touches are going to work out. If, if you're just in a waiver wire league and you know, it's okay. Who has priority? Okay. I get taking a stab on one of these guys. I would probably use a stab on Gallman over Lewis. Honestly, I think he's has a better chance to get kind of the more true Saquon role. But I just would not use, you know, any sort of uh, extreme amount of fab on this situation. I think it's a low ceiling offense. And there are backup running backs around the league like Latavius Pollard, Madison Edmonds, the guys we've been preaching. If one of those guys is available, let's blow the bank because we're pretty confident in the role we're getting. Not right now. This is like the Benny Snow situation all over again. It's too murky to invest too much money in right now. Uh, quickly on the receivers, Evan Ingram, nice little bounce back game. Six catches, 65 yards on eight targets. Uh, Sterling Shepard. Had to leave early. We'll check out that injury throughout the week. Uh, Tate and Darius Slayton held under 50 yards, five and six targets respectively. Saquon's out of the picture. If Shepard's out of the picture, all of a sudden this crowded passing game is down to pretty much three guys in Ingram, Tate, and Slayton. Uh, Slayton in particular, you know, this was a, a tough one for him. He won the tough matchup in week one with flying colors against the Steelers, but I think we'll see bigger performances from him uh, moving forward. And again, if Shepard and, and Saquon aren't there to, uh, you know, muddle up this pecking order on a week-to-week basis, we could see Slayton, you know, morph into more of a boomer boom wide receiver than that boomer bust type he has been. Uh, Stain in the NFC North Packers 42 Lions 21 Aaron Rodgers FU revenge tour continues not the huge game we were probably all expecting 18 for 30 240 yards pair of touchdowns no picks but got the job done Aaron Jones was fantastic uh, 18 carries 168 yards pair of scores on the ground also chipped in four receptions 68 yards one touchdown you just heard those stat lines the guy still didn't play 50% of his offensive snaps he's an anomaly and touches absolutely mean more than snaps but you know you can't get touches if you're not in the field usually these two things go hand in hand not necessarily uh, in Green Bay you know Jamal Williams who was playing 41% snaps had eight carries for 63 yards in his own right you know he's solid on third down it's not like they'd be playing this guy I understand Matt LaFleur knows more in his little finger about football than I will know the rest of my life. It's just frustrating from a fantasy perspective when we have someone like Aaron Jones who is putting up consistent RB1 numbers just with the opposite of consistent RB1 usage. You know, all the credit to him for making it happen efficiency-wise, all the credit to the Packers for being 2-0 and after an offseason where everyone screamed regression, regression, regression. Uh, it's just one of these anomaly situations, but we need to adjust to it. Uh, it was really good to see Jones's receiving usage, and we mentioned this after week one where he didn't have the you know big numbers but he did have a good amount of targets came back again today with eight targets this was just the second game and since the week one of last year since the floor has been there that he has had more than six snaps in the slot or out wide again he went four catches 68 yards and a touchdown today the only other game he did that was last year against the chiefs on sunday night when he went for 159 yards and two touchdowns receiving he's a special talent as a receiver and they're going to need him because Devonte adams is apparently dealing with 
a hamstring injury. We saw Jones' target spike. I believe it was 6.8 targets per game last year when Devontae Adams was out. Look for Aaron Jones to be the focal point of this offense if Devontae has to miss any time at all. Um, while Devontae's out, like, okay, Marquez Valdez scantling or Alan Lazard. Uh, who each caught three balls, uh, MVS, 64 yards, Lazard, 45 yards. Neither of them scored. These guys will be real popular waiver candidates if Devontae's out or even just banged up. I lean MVS, but again, I think more than anything, we're going to see this offense just really, really flow through Aaron Jones and wouldn't even be shocked to see them just embrace more of a run-first identity while Devontae is out. He is so important to this offense. I don't want to just assume that one of these complimentary receivers can step in and be what Devontae is because none of these guys are that good. So more than anything, I would expect the offense to change than uh, you know, them to try to force these receivers into a role that I don't think they're ready for just yet. So, you know, I had MVS and Lazard ranked, I think, 40 first and 42nd among wide receivers this week maybe give them each a five six spot bump potentially you know we're talking boomer bust wide receiver three range but that's about as high as i am willing to go looking at the lions side of the ball stafford 20 for 33 244 yards two scores one pick just another performance that we didn't quite see that same ceiling uh, from last year. I mean, you know, he's chucking the ball down with reckless abandon, you know, top gunslinger in the league just in terms of aggressiveness and deep ball rate. And he just doesn't have his guy Galladay right now. And because of that, he's spreading things out, you know, looking a little more like, you know, 2015 to 2018 Matthew Stafford out there, you know, dunking it down to Theo Riddick and Golden Tate all day. Danny Amendola led the way with seven targets. Swift wasn't far behind with five. He called all five of those for 60 yards. Uh, Marvin Jones found the end zone on six targets, but only four catches for 23 yards. Hawkinson caught all four of his targets for 62 yards. This is a low ceiling in Detroit right now, and the backfield is a complete mess. Just stay away, honestly. Carry on Johnson, 33% snaps. DeAndre Swift, 32%. Agent Peterson, 26%. And even Ty Johnson chipping to 9%. I mean, I think, you know, Marvin Jones, if Kenny Galladay stays out, I'm fine going back to the Marvin uh, tank as like an upside wide receiver three. That should be in more starting lineups than not. Once Galladay's back and healthy, you know, we'll go with him. I think Hawkinson is still talented enough to warrant borderline wide receiver one treatment, but the floor is way too low on these running backs, way too game script dependent uh, to do anything right now. And, you know, when you got a low floor, you got a low ceiling too. So I'm staying away generally from these guys uh, in Detroit for the time being. Uh, Buccaneers beat the Panthers 31-17. I was expecting a little more of a blow performance from TB12 and company, but still a great game. 217 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Should have had more scores. I mean, he had Scotty Miller on a potential dive and catch in the end zone. He dropped it. He hit LaShawn McCoy in the chest, man, on like one from 15 yards out. And the look on Brady's face after Shady dropped that. I joked on Twitter that, you know, remember this image when Shady's a healthy scratch next week. I will see. Shady made some okay plays in the beginning. He ended up catching, uh, what was it, five passes. Yeah, five of seven targets for 26 yards. So, you know, one mistake doesn't, you know, get you off the roster, but it was certainly a brutal drop. Uh, good to see Brady get his connection on with Evans, you know, a week after Arians saying he feels sick if Evans can't get 10 targets. Evans got 10 targets, caught seven of them, 104 yards and a score. Had a huge post to open up the game. Uh, and Brady threw a beautiful back shoulder uh, to Evans after he had a nice little stop and go uh, for the touchdown. So, you know, as long as Godwin's out, and even once Godwin's in, I mean, the Brady-Evans chemistry looks awesome. It's going to be hard to keep him out of the top 12 wide receivers more times than not moving forward. 
Other than that, this passing game, pretty tough to go back to. I mean, Scotty Miller was expecting a lot more from him this spot because he looked like the clear-cut number three guy last week, but we saw Justin Watson come up with three targets of his own. O.J. Howard, three targets. Fournette had five. Shady had seven. And there's a situation where even though Miller looked like and he was the number three guy for one week, not, you know, ingrained enough in this offense to expect that sort of consistent production moving forward. So these tight ends are not giving us anything right now. You know, I don't know what we, we – we joked about in 2019, oh, Bruce Arians never seen a tight end like O.J. Howard. And we joked this year he's never seen a tight end like Rob Gronkowski. I mean, what would like a prime Tony Gonzalez do with uh, Bruce Arians? Because right now, I think he might be a run-first player at this point. This offense just will not enable a fantasy-friendly tight end. You know, if you got a deep bench, great. If not, I don't think either. you should worry too much about cutting either Howard or Gronk in favor of someone with a, you know more upside at this point. Looking at the backfield, this is where things get interesting. Fournette led the way, 12 carries, 103 yards, and two scores. Ronald Jones, seven carries, 23 yards, and a score. And as uh, we mentioned before, Shady had that, you know, pass game usage. And it was just interesting to see because Fournette went out there and he looked like the best back. Ended up playing 44% of the offensive snaps. Shady was there at 18%. Rojo at 35%. I just... I wouldn't anoint him as the feature guy at this point. We've seen the same old song and dance all the time last year. Like Ronald Jones consistently looked like he was better than Peyton Barber. And then he'd make one mistake and they'd flip or vice versa. So, you know, I I don't think Fournette is out of the weeds just yet. But hey, you know, 46-yard game-clinching score. He was running hard. He looked better than Ronald Jones. Rojo had a fumble with Brady on a draw uh, exchange, which certainly didn't go well. They, they like Fournette. And at a minimum, this is, you know, Ronald Jones and Fournette's the new new and improved Peyton Barber was shady as last year's Dari. Uh, wouldn't be shocked if Shady's role strengths a little bit, but... I don't think either Fournette or Rojo is pulling away. As long as they're scoring 31 points per week, both guys can continue to produce a little bit with this. But, you know, just it's going to be tough to move either of them in that top 24 range after this sort of split performance. Um, moving on to the Panthers side of the ball. Bridgewater racked up 42 attempts, 367 yards, pair of picks, five sacks. I mean, he makes some really good plays. He had a nice dime down the field to Robbie. Again, showing off that arm strength. Uh, Teddy Checkdown, good for you. But, you know, every time he made a couple good plays, usually some kind of boneheaded mistake would come. There's no rushing usage. You know, it's a bad Panthers team. The floor isn't high, but you know, we will see them like we did see in week one against the Raiders, you know, be able to keep up in certain matchups. I just think this Buccaneers defense a little too good uh, for them to figure it out today. Christian McCaffrey, Maybe the biggest injury we need to watch going into uh, the week. He had an ankle injury. You know, we'll see what happens throughout the rest of the week if he gets to practice. But it looks like Mike Davis is going to be one of the real popular waiver guys. You know, he spent some time in Seattle over the past few years. And he really looked good when he was given opportunities. And he started the year off with the Bears last season. Didn't get as many looks. But came to Carolina and outplayed Reggie Bonifant enough to, you know, win this backup job. I do think if McCaffrey misses time, we would see Mike Davis be the primary guy in an also increased role for Curtis Samuel who actually had four carries for 26 yards today and some of that was actually lined up as a true running back Davis would be the guy and he's gonna be the guy in third downs he had eight catches uh, in this game for 74 yards a lot of that in mop-up time. My point is there's not like another scat back on the roster that would bring in. Davis fits the prototype as a three-down backup. And, you know, it wasn't staring us in the face really this whole offseason because we all kind of thought Bonifon would win that job. He didn't. It's Davis. You know, even if McCaffrey comes out that he's fine, Mike Davis is someone that if you got the room on your roster, put 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 him in that roster spot because, you know, unlike uh, – 
some of these other guys we talked about where we don't know the role they're going to get, it does seem, not for sure, but it does seem like Mike Davis has a better shot than most backup running backs to get, you know, that 15-plus touch role with a good amount of pass game usage uh, if catastrophe uh, breaks out. Um, looking at the wide receivers, DJ Moore, nice bounce back game. Shadow coach from Carlton Davis. Didn't matter. Always say it's the shadow matchups. You know, it's a good tiebreaker. But, you know, as we saw you know, with DK Metcalf getting the best Stephon Gilmore too, uh, play your studs regardless of the matchup. DJ caught eight of those 13 targets for 120 yards. Robbie Anderson looking a lot more like just a flash in the pan, showing good chemistry already. Caught nine of 10 targets for 109 yards. They're not using him like the Robbie Anderson of old. And we thought going this year, I thought at least that, you know, Curse would be a number two because Robbie made sense as the field stretcher, DJ as the alpha number one. No, they're using Robbie on intermediate stuff, which he's showing, you know, a great feel for. And he's making, you know, for him to, I think through two weeks now, only had one or two, two or three at the most targets hit the ground, shows the chemistry he has with uh, Bridgewater, shows the feel he already has for this system. He is approaching, I think he needs to probably be in the top 36 receivers uh, going next week. And, you know, as much as we like to call him a boomer bust player, ha- has been nothing but boom so far. So good to see from Robbie. Uh, you know, a lot of people, including myself, wanted him to go to a Less murky death chart. Just I want the guy to get targets. I think he's been a great player with the Jets. Carolina didn't seem like a great place to enable that. It is right now. So good to see from Robbie in that passing game. Uh, Bills 31. They beat the Dolphins, uh, who only had 28 points. So three-point win for Josh Allen and company. This is one of three games I also did not get a chance to watch, which is a shame because Josh Allen, the man that two weeks ago never had a game with 300 yards passing, put up 417 yards against the Dolphins, also four touchdowns no picks uh talked him up throughout the week as the overall fantasy qb3 the guy the guy's a baller he's a fancy cheat code only only chipped in 18 rushing yards uh this game but didn't matter because guess what he's got stefan Diggs now Smokey brown cole beasley awesome receiving core and he is making the most out of it so you know if you want to look ahead on that bill schedule after the bye week things get a lot rougher in the back half of the year i think josh could still put up qb1 production through it but you know don't be afraid after another three or four of these types of performances to sell high because it is gonna be a tough end of the year for josh uh backfield was singletary 54% snaps. Zach Moss, 46%. Singletary had 10 carries. Moss had eight. The problem was, like, this is not going to work. We knew this. This, isn't, this didn't work last year with Singletary and Gore. But in week one, the Bills were a top three or four offense in targets to their running back, which was new because Allen was the like most checked down averse QB in all 2019. We did see that rear its head in this week. Uh, Singletary had three targets. Moss had zero. Allen's vulturing the touchdowns at the goal line. They're throwing a lot near the goal line. They're tight ends. I don't think either of these running backs should be in the top 24 right now. You know, they're shaping up to be kind of low ceiling RB3 types. I think if either one got hurt, we would see, you know, the other take more of a featured role with TJ Yeldon being activated, being more of a true backup. But for now, just really tough to trust any of these guys. Um, Stefan Diggs caught eight of 13 targets for 153 yards in the score. John Brown, four of six targets for 82 yards in the score. A little more of the target discrepancy that I think uh, I, I at least expected going in this year with Diggs being the true wide receiver one. Beasley also had six targets. I mean, the guy, other guys are going to get involved. Austin Knox is good, too. He'll have, good, he'll have uh, bigger weeks. But Stefan Diggs is the guy here that gave up too much for him. Expect top 20 production from Diggs more weeks than not in this offense that just wants to feed him the ball. 
Credit to Ryan Fitzpatrick, 320 yards, two scores uh, for keeping this one close. But, you know, it's I think it's just a matter of time until Tua gets out there. We'll see what happens. Maybe, you know, when they're done playing the Patriots and Bills, hardly the, hardly the easiest two matchups to start the season off with. Maybe once they're done with that, uh, we'll see. Fitzpatrick uh, just gets his team back in the win column, but you know, just top 10 history, history of top 10 quarterbacks. We see them sooner rather than later. Backfield remains just anyone's idea of a mess. Miles Gaskin, 57% snaps again. Matt Breeder, 24%. Jordan Howard, 17%. Patrick Laird, 3%. Uh, Howard put together another hilarious line. Five carries, four yards, one score. He is now through two games for those counting at home. 13 carries, 11 yards, two touchdowns, one swaggy black visor. So good for you, Jordan Howard. Gaskin did catch six balls for 36 yards on seven targets. I mean, at this point, I guess we got to respect the usage a little bit, but this hardly seems set in stone for me. I have a hard time believing he holds off Breed on Howard for that long. And ultimately, we are looking at a four-back committee with Laird and little to no rushing efficiency from the group as a whole. So I am still pretty much staying away from these Dolphins running backs in leagues of all shapes and sizes. Over in receiving, Mike Jusecki led the day. Eight catches, 130 yards, and a score on 11 targets. Devontae Parker was healthy enough to play majority of the game. Five catches, 53 yards, and a score on eight targets. Uh, Preston Williams was the big disappointment. Just one catch for 26 yards on five targets. We got the Jacksonville Jaguars next week uh, in Thursday night game for the Dolphins. So hopefully Parker's healthy and we can see his passing game truly put together their first you know, real boom of the season. All right, we've got the Ravens 33, Texans 16. Got four more games, people. Finish these up, and we will get you on out of here. Thank you again for listening. And so, yeah, this one maybe wasn't as exciting as you all thought. I mean, it's scary that the Ravens offense could put up 33 points in a game where, you know, Lamar just wasn't really the kind of the world beater we've seen over the years. He was fine. He was great. Cut, completed 18 or 24 passes with 204 yards and a score, but... He did take four sacks, you know, rushing. He had 16 rushes for 54 yards, no scores. Just not the usual MVP world beater performance we saw. And they still won by 17 points. And, you know, he didn't have to work that hard. So hardly an issue. You know, he's still going to be my QB1 entering next week. Uh, still, you know, deserves to be mentioned alongside any of the top quarterbacks in the game. Had a couple of just great throws, even though, uh, you know, just missed Mark Andrews for a couple of touchdowns. But, just uh you know you see you see what he can do in the pocket and this him and cam both like anyone that just calls them a running back playing quarterback quit being so ignorant uh looking at the running back room this is where things are a little problematic because look there's no targets really going on here in week one there were zero targets for running backs this week ingram had three dobbins had one but it's not something that's all that consistent. And we have mark ingram lead the way with 42 percent snaps gus edwards and dobbins each had 31 percent Dobbins only ended up with two carries. Not one that went for 44 yards because the guy's a beast. But Ingram led the way with nine carries, 55 yards in his score. And Evers was good too with 10 carries for 73 yards. Ultimately, these running backs were looking at between 8 to 12 carries per week most of the time with very little target floor inside of one of the league's best offenses. And Lamar is stealing so much of the rushing game work too. It might as well be a four-back committee. It's like we're looking at, you know, one of these Patriots teams from a couple years ago. We just have no idea who's going to go off in any given week. Ingram seems like the favorite more weeks than not. I do think Dobbins wins out over Evers eventually. 
But it's really tough to trust any of these guys other than Ingram, I think, as a starter for the time being. Obviously, the upside, if one of them goes down with injury, sky high. So need to keep them on the rosters, even if it's annoying for now. A disappointing day from the receivers in terms of production. No one cleared 50 yards. Andrews only had three targets. So expect maybe a squeaky wheel bounce back next week. Um, Marquise Brown, five catches, 42 yards on his six targets. Had a long at 25, but didn't quite see just that massive uh, boom play yet. Again, you know, what wasn't the best day? wasn't the most big play day for this Baltimore offense. And, hey, you know, credit to some credit to the Houston Texans, who people are saying, like, oh, my God, look at this team. They're so bad. But, you know, they played the Chiefs and the Ravens and done a pretty good job limiting big plays in both instances. I know the offense has some catching up to do, but not the easiest two matchups to start your season with. I wouldn't count out Deshaun Watson and company just yet for making some noise, noise this season. Uh, you know, pretty forgettable game from this Texans offense as a whole. My uh, helicopter pick, Will Fuller, flew up, uh, just awful. I mean, <laughs> went up in absolute flames. Uh, one carry, zero yards, no targets. Had a hamstring injury that was getting worked on in the second quarter. He still got out there for, you know, uh, half, the, half the snaps or so. So, you know, it's not exactly an excuse I can hang my hat on. And either way, we know Will Fuller is an injury-prone guy. So, you know, we did see Brandon Cooks catch five and bait targets for 95 yards. Cobb, five catches, 59 yards on six targets. The thought process behind a big Fuller game was one, it's Will Fuller. We know he can blow up any time. Don't leave the guy on the bench. And two, you know, as good as this Ravens secondary is, I just, you know, when you lose Earl Thomas, they had only played the Browns. I wasn't all that convinced they're the same unit. And, you know, as great as Peters has played, since he joined the Ravens. Now, as great as the secondary has been, this is still Marcus Peters. I mean, only Malcolm Butler has given up more touchdowns since Peters came in the league. Part of that's what makes him great, and he takes chances and he makes big plays that cornerbacks wouldn't even think to try. So it's nothing against Peters, the player. I love the way he plays. Just think he's due at some point to quit playing. Like, he's a boomer bust corner. He's been doing nothing but booming for the last year and a half, pretty much. So all the credit to him, and he kept. he had another interception today. The guy's awesome, but... Really thought Fuller could maybe bust one deep. Maybe another day. Hope he gets healthy. Um, David Johnson played 95% of his backfield snaps with Duke Johnson sideline for his first game ever. CJ Precise was out there for just three total snaps. Unfortunately, I mean, it wasn't a big day for David. Only 11 carries, for 34 yards, uh, two catches for 16 yards, no scores on four targets. He could have had a potential touchdown if uh, Deshaun hit him with a better ball on one of those real routes, but bigger days will be ahead. And this guy is rarely leaving the field. Keep on keeping on treating David Johnson as a top 24, top to top 20, honestly, top 16, I would say RB more weeks than not. All right, final three games here. Everyone, Cardinals beat the Washington football team 32-15. Uh, great performance from Kyler Murray once again. This guy's rushing usage is just on another level this season. Eight carries, 67 yards, pair of scores. Also plenty fine as a passer. I mean, you know, 286 yards on 38 attempts with a score and a pick. You know, he struggled to get going um, a little bit like last season. But now we got DeAndre Hopkins there. who pitched in another eight catches, 68 yards and a score. It just seems like he's so much more in control of the entire offense and team. And when, when, when things break down, it's like, okay, now you, the fastest guy in the field seemingly has the football in his hand. So Kyler Murray looks so good. You know, this wasn't the easiest start for the season with them. 49ers in Washington back to back. There's some monstrous D lines right there. But he's passive with flying colors. Deserves to be, you know, a top five fantasy. QB here on forward. Another just kind of disappointing game from Kenyon Drake, but the usage stays good. 64% snaps. Chase Edmonds there at 36%. I mean, Drake had 20 carries. Edmonds had three. It's clear he's the guy. They were even getting him some Wildcat stuff, but 
Just haven't seen that big game yet. Edmonds staying involved. And again, he needs to be on rosters because if Drake does go down or miss time, Edmonds will be the guy there. Um, other than Hopkins, we had Larry Fitzgerald catch all seven of his targets for 50 yards. Uh, credit to Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. Kirk had a 49-yard catch, Isabella 54. Both were beautiful deep balls by Kyler and arguably even better catches by those guys. I still think behind Hawkins, it's going to be tough to expect a bunch of, uh, you know, consistent fantasy production from anyone here. But, you know, you do see the talent at, at uh, Kyler's disposal and why so many have pegged him as a top five fantasy QB. On the Washington side of the ball, Haskins just really struggled to get going with anyone not named Terry McLaurin. McLaurin roasted Patrick Peterson for most of the afternoon, seven catches on 10 targets, 125 yards and a tutty. It seemed like Logan Thomas was going to be the other guy that uh, uh, Haskins wanted. And I was, you know, I really wanted to see more from Logan Thomas and just didn't want to trust him fully in that first week. And he only had four catches for 26 yards this week, but nine targets. Haskins was looking for him downfield in the red zone. Until they add someone else, it looks like Logan Thomas is what I wanted Chris Herndon to be. This pretty athletic, good tight end on a bad offense that is bad. And so because they're bad, they have to throw their tight end the second most targets on the team. But, you know, Washington is at least a little bit more put together than the Jets. They at least have difference makers on their defense and can at least stay competitive. So, you know, it pains me to say this, but yeah, you should be dropping Chris Herndon for Logan Thomas if you have the chance to right now. We will learn and get better, everyone. I will try to not make that Herndon mistake happen next time around uh, backfield in Washington very promising for Antonio Gibson stands out there he played 67% of his snaps JD McKissick was at 42% Peyton Barber one snap one carry one yard and he's gone I love it you know no offense to Peyton Barber but it's gonna be fun seeing Antonio Gibson get more touch touches he had a good game, 13 carries, 55 yards, and a score. Haven't seen a ton of burst out of him. You see the tackle-breaking ability, but I think the big plays are still a little bit untapped. Only two targets. I think once they get him going in the passing game more, we're going to see the best to come. Um, I will be moving him up in the ranks. Still not ready to put him in that RB2 range, but he will definitely be a top 30 back for me entering week three. All right, two more games, everyone. We had the Chiefs beat the Chargers 23-20. to The Chargers give Mahomes so many problems. You know, I mentioned this in my quarterback rank last week but held him to under 200 yards in both games last year took him 47 attempts to get 302 yards in this game and just didn't matter the guy makes it happen it's just it's ridiculous that Mahomes has the athleticism he does and the mobility to you know turn something uh out, turn nothing into something when he needs to because we know how good the passing game is we know how just many plays they can make downfield with Tyreek and Kelsey and all that but you know on third and 20 game on the line Mahomes picks up 21 yards on the ground so good had 54 yards total rushing will continue to be uh, my fantasy QB2 Moving forward, and you know, number one real life fancy, number one real life quarterback. I don't think anyone can debate that. Clyde Edwards Hilaire didn't have, you know, the game script he had in week one, so he didn't get the same sort of gaudy production, but 63% snaps. Uh, Darwin Thompson's at 21%, Daryl Williams 11%, and Clyde did get six catches for 32 yards on eight targets. Only Tyreek and Kelsey have more catches. Uh, Tyreek finished with 99 yards and a score on 11 targets. Kelsey, nine catches, 90 yards. And a touchdown, you know, Kelsey is obviously your number one fantasy tight end. Tyreek's not leaving that top five anytime soon. I think Clyde, even though he didn't find the ends on this game, continues to deserve 
you know, top six, I would say, RB uh, ranks any, any, any given week, regardless of the matchup. We know he's got the pass down floor, and he's got the run just ceiling if they get up in a game. So this offense is going to put up far more than 23 points, more weeks than not, continue to go to the well. Beyond that, I think we need a, a receiver to get injured before we're trusting too many other guys in this offense. Any of Watkins, you know, Robinson or Hardman can put up the big games. We've seen them do that, but trying to figure out when it's going to happen when they're all just kind of rotating and splitting snaps. Not as cool. So walk-ins, you know, first catch came in the fourth quarter. It seemed like he got banged up, so keep an eye out for that on the injury report. One of them goes down. I'll be back in the Meekle train, but until then, I am good. Moving on to Chargers side of the ball, Justin Herbert uh, first start. So Tyrod Taylor is apparently um, still the Chargers like preferred starter Anthony Lynn came out and said that you know Tyrod is healthy he is our guy but you know this is from Ian Rapport uh, of NFL Network but prior to kickoff Tyrod Taylor experienced difficulty breathing and was taken to the locker room for evaluation he was transported to the hospital shortly thereafter to undergo further evaluation and with his chest injury he was discharged from the hospital so that's why they started Herbert but man they gotta stick with Herbert and this is coming from someone that you know really thought Tyrod could be a useful late round QB option but no, I think Herbert's the answer. 311 yards on 33 attempts, and some of these throws he made were super legit. I mean, his touchdown, just putting it, you know, away from the corner who was there, high and away to Jalen Guyton in the corner of the end zone. It was beautiful. He can move. He's not, you know, Josh Allen. He's not Lamar, Kyler, or any of these guys, but, you know, certainly not a sitting target back there. Was able to get out of the pocket a couple times. You know, I still question if he can truly create off script, but he's got the athleticism to be that type of quarterback. We'll see if he can put it together. Uh, but yeah, good things from Herbert. I don't think he's going to flirt with, uh, you know, consistent fantasy value anytime soon, but, you know, certainly worse offenses to grow up in than one with Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, and Mike Williams at the disposal. So certainly a good start for Herbert. Speaking of those weapons, Eckler and Kelly, pretty split backfield. I mean, Eckler had 56% of the snaps, Kelly 52%. Kelly had 23 carries for 64 yards. Eckler went 16 carries for 93 yards. They were both involved in the passing game. Eckler caught four passes for 55 yards. Kelly, two for 49. Guess what, everyone? The Chargers have two pretty darn good-looking running backs, it seems like. And as long as Justin Jackson's out, Kelly is cemented as, uh, you know, the more kind of early-down grinder piece with Eckler catching more of the passes. But, you know, credit to Eckler for really looking good in this game. I mean, he's led all running backs uh, with seven broken tackles on rush attempts. You know, just truly was looking great in the receiving game. I mean, you know, convert four targets into 55 yards. Some of that was yak. Some of that, one of that, though, was a contested catch uh, that helped set up a touchdown. So uh, Kelly, you know, he was competent too. 35-yard gain on a screen. He can catch the ball, and he looks good out there. So, you know, it's not a situation where I didn't expect Kelly to flirt with uh, top 24 production. But if he's going to get 20-plus carries a week, we're going to start paying attention. So, I'm hesitant in assuming the Chargers are going to be this good competing with the Chiefs uh, and teams of that nature with Herbert under center. But, you know, if we are in a matchup where the Chiefs are favored or we could expect them to at least be in the game more more uh, seconds than not, I think uh, we can start to look at Kelly at, at a minimum as more of an upside RB3. All right, everyone, saving the best for last. Seahawks, Patriots, Seahawks won. 35 Patriots, 30. Uh, Cam Newton was stuffed at the one-yard line in the last play of the game. Could have won it, but, you know, credit to the Seahawks defense for getting in there and blowing that up. Just an awesome game all around. Russell Wilson, uh, 21 for 28, 288 yards, five touchdowns, one pick. 
chipped in another 39 yards on the ground. Just absolutely amazing. This is a week after he was pretty much perfect against the Falcons with another four touchdowns through the year. You know, if he's not the MVP front runner right now, I think he should be considering Rodgers, you know, didn't have quite the same performance in week two. Give me Russell Wilson as the MVP front runner through two weeks. Uh, Chris Carson, much more demanding sh- uh, hold on this backfield, which was good to see. Last week, Carlos Hyde outrushed him. This week, Carson had 17 carries. Hyde only had five. Travis Homer, three. Carson continued to get some pass down work. Uh, he is firmly in that top 20 RB discussion. Uh, DK Metcalf is as matchup proof as they come after he roasted. Now, Gilmore was in position, but hey, you know what? 54-yard touchdown with Stephon Gilmore trying to prevent the thing. Russ put the ball there. Metcalf took it from Gilmore. Credit to him on the great play and the great game. Tyler Lockett, seven catches, six, seven yards, and a score on eight targets. Both these guys should probably be top 20 receivers more weeks than not. And uh, Russ's, the rest of his touchdowns went to David Moore, Chris Carson, and rookie Freddie Swain on pretty much a busted play. So awesome stuff from the Seahawks. Hope they keep letting Russ cook. 28 attempts could have been more, but hey, you know, when he's getting them to the end zone that quick, can't blame uh, Shoddy there. Uh, Cam Newton, 397 passing yards, one touchdown, one pick. I mean, some of the, the just the accuracy he was showing off with some of these touches you know the Edelman in particular who caught eight of 11 targets for 179 yards just fantastic to see from Cam and he looked good the other guys too and the Keel Harry had eight catches uh, on 12 targets for 72 yards Demir Bird six catches on nine targets for 72 yards you know did all this without James White who you know was having that horrific family experience if you didn't hear uh, James White's father uh, was in a motorcycle uh, not excuse me automobile accident Along with his mom, uh, mom's in critical condition. Father, unfortunately, passed away. So, you know, all all prayers and good wishes to James White family. Can't even imagine what they are going through. Uh, without him in there, we saw Rex Burkhead kind of take that main pass down role in Sony as the, you know, more early down guy. But look, it's the Cam Newton show in this run game. When they get to that one yard line, they're trying to get him in the end zone. He had another 47 rushing yards and two scores on the ground. Anyone's idea of a top fantasy QB1? I mean, I, I Cam, I think it was QB6 this week might just have to get him into the top five moving forward so that's gonna do it everyone thank you for tuning in uh you know try to go through all these games keep us all as informed as possible you know the box scores can tell you a lot but not the whole story so uh we'll have plenty of you know all the matchups content all the regular podcasts uh content going in the rest of the week and uh, make sure you tune back for that post Monday night football podcast where I'll have a little more information on the injuries and some more uh, waiver claim stuff so thank you for listening this has been the PFF fantasy football podcast I am Ian Harditz take care of you